can't just be letting any old people kiss on your kids kiss you and you know that's my argument for always looking at who's kissing you and what they're kissing you with that is explicit, isn't it? <laughs> I think we should talk about touching on sensitive topics. So, up here, here goes nothing. All right. The Midwife Crisis Podcast will touch on sensitive topics regarding the human body, sexuality, especially this episode, pregnancy, and all aspects of women's health care and may not be suitable for all listeners. I'm PR. And I'm Kate. And this is The Midwife Crisis, because it's not just you. And today we're going to talk about something that we all have hopefully learned about, not by personal experience necessarily. Or that awesome health video in seventh grade. There is that. Terrifying books you find that because your parents are nurses. There is that as well. <laughs> or they come home and explicitly discuss it over dinner, over fajitas. That's right. Anyhow, we're going to talk about STIs, or sexually transmitted infections. You may have used the old term STD. Sexually transmitted disease. Yep. Or let's not forget venereal disease. Whoa, that one goes back to my mama's time. BD. (laughs) BD. BD. Um. Right. We've moved away from all that stuff in an effort to clarify the majority of these things. These infect these issues are infections, not diseases. These are disease. Well, let's talk about disease. Right. So in a nutshell, disease, as in STD, that's what the D stands for, um, suggests a medical problem. So usually someone who has obvious signs and symptoms who's suffering, right? Uh, But several of the most common STDs or STIs have no signs or symptoms um, in the majority of people infected. Um, This is true for lots like chlamydia, gonorrhea, herpes, HPV, just to name a few. Um, And additionally, a lot of these infections can be treated and or are curable, similar to your everyday infection. And it sounds better, right? It sounds so much better. To say sexually transmitted infection. Okay, leave off the sexually transmitted. It sounds better to say I have an infection. Right. A little infection. Yep. It sounds less, it feels less upsetting than disease. Mm -hmm. It sounds curable. It sounds less terminal or life ending. Truly. And for some, even though for some folks who have this experience, you feel like it is life ending. Hence the crisis in midwife crisis. It really, it can be traumatizing if you get any of these diagnoses. And you might feel a different way about yourself, or if you share it with uh, someone close to you, they, you worry that they may be judging you, or they may feel a different way about you. And in that moment, you do feel that, that you're, you are in a crisis, but it's not just you. And we're going to tell you why. Why? An STI, let's call them STIs for the sake of brevity. Let's keep it Should brief. Should we call it STI or no? <laughs> Not no, a sty. No, we're going to call it STI. A STI is a real thing, <laughs> and I've had them. A so. STI. A STI. <laughs> a STI. A STI. <laughs> an STI is an infection passed from one person to another through sexual contact. An infection is when a bacteria, virus, or parasite enters and grows in or on your body. Some STIs can be cured and some STIs cannot be cured. Mm -hmm. For those STIs that cannot be cured, there are medicines to manage the symptoms. And it's funny when we say something cannot be cured. Immediately folks think of, well, first of all, they think this is 2020. What do you mean you can't cure it? Yeah, true. But the second thing they think of, okay, so then it must be HIV or hepatitis. Mm -hmm. Those two are just like the boogeymen. That's not true. Let's talk about that as well. Yeah. So um, STIs, as you guys probably know from the S in STI, are usually spread by having vaginal, oral, or anal sex. Uh, More than 9 million women in the United States are diagnosed with an STI each year. Ouch. Yeah, that's a lot. And women often have more serious health problems from STIs than men. Ouch. Not excluding things like infertility, so things that can affect you you across the lifespan. Um, STIs can affect absolutely anyone, uh, but the most common uh, or the most vulnerable population are women who are between the ages of 15 and 24. 
and marginalized populations such as sex workers, uh, people who are addicted to drugs or use in- injectable drugs, uh, prison inmates, mobile populations, and adolescents. And often, a lot of these people don't have as good of access or adequate access to health care and health screenings. So now that we have a general sense about uh, what STIs are and why they're a part of, well, let's talk about this. Why, why do midwives, why are they a part of midwifery care? And we've talked to you about, about this in previous episodes, so we want you to go back and listen if you don't remember or if you didn't hear our previous episodes. Midwives take care of everyone. Yeah. So we don't just prov- we don't just, you know, catch a baby when it's coming out or take care of you when you're pregnant. That kind of thing. We also provide care for STIs, for gynecologic care, contraception, menopausal, perimenopausal care. And all of those people in all of those age groups, adolescents can be susceptible to STIs That's depending right. on what's going on in their lives and how they're comporting themselves. And so um, or who, not themselves necessarily, but who they might be affiliated with. So that's why it's a part of midwifery care. Let's discuss the types. I'm we're, we're gonna we kind of divided this up, and I'm gonna focus on I'm gonna be the bearer of bad news, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna talk about viruses. And we just wanted to let you guys know instead of sort of like breaking it down into sections and segments and culture and sex and race and all that kind of stuff. We're kind of just going to talk about each one as a separate entity and add in all of our good info and uh, stories and discussions as we go along. Yeah. Um, so let's get started. Let's start with the the most ubiquitous. Mm, yeah. HPV. Many of us have heard of it, human papillomavirus. That's right. And just very quickly, let me speak to viruses. So virus if you have a virus, it's not something that you cure. The nature of a virus is such that you don't cure it. So you, you don't take an antibiotic and make it go away forever and ever and ever. Very often you have a virus and it will, you will, uh, the symptoms may be managed or you may make them go away, but you may carry the virus in your system. It's a part of you now. It, indeed. <laughs> or if you have a really strong immune system, you can kind of make it go to sleep. That's true. Go night night. Yep. <laughs> Don't come back now here. Why can't you just give it a Z-Pack? No Z-Pack? Z-Pack will not help a virus. It's true. It won't have any. It's not a bacteria. So, it, you know, viruses have little capes that say a big V on them, and they're just not going to respond to you and your Z-Pack. Yeah. So antibiotics are not going to get rid of these um, infections. So, no, they aren't. And human papillomavirus, HPV, is spread in the very ways that Kate already told you, you know, all the ways that we have sex, all the ways that we have sex that people, humans, have can conjure up to have sex. That's right. And so it's super common. It can cause warts, which I'm going to talk to you about in a minute, which you can see. Warts are visible. Or abnormal cells that you can't see but are typically harmless and can uh, your body can eradicate. It can make them go away on its own. It, they, our bodies fight, the, fight off the virus, um, but sometimes it, it doesn't, and they, you can get certain types that are very strong, and they can lead to cancer if they're unmonitored. And you can get it not just in your, you know, your genitalia, not just in your vagina or on your cervix and that kind of thing, but you can also get it in your mouth and throat. Mm-hmm. And, and for get our cancer in your mouth and throat. Yep. And for our um, friends who were not born with uh, women uh, parts at birth, but were born with penises, um, you can also get penile cancer. Um, Indeed. So. Yes. That is a true statement. I think I feel like deja vu that maybe we mentioned Michael Douglas and his um, throat cancer before uh, on this we podcast. Might we might have, but uh, he is is sort of like a famous case of someone who you know he got throat cancer and it was caused by a strain of HPV. You know the same kind of strains that cause things like cervical cancer. So, and I hear you out there. You think I can't hear you? I know you're going. Ooh, we know what he was doing if he had HPV in his throat, and that is not your business. Mm-hmm. That's nobody's business. And that's but I'm part- gi- but I'm but I'm giving him a big wink and a thumbs up. <laughs> you go, Michael. It's not your business. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and, and blacks and uh, Latinx have the highest incidence if you just look across the board at everyone who has it. And so, you know, why do we have that? Who knows? You know, it's not it's not fair and the world is not fair. But if you if studies have shown that there that um, these folks do have the highest incidence and these folks as in my folks. Um, and I would say HPV in the in a, the type that we see on PAPs and things like that. That's one of the most common phone calls that I make. And actually, it's so common that sometimes I I pre-discuss with my patient like, should it come back like a normal PAP, but it has HPV? All that means is X, Y, and Z. Because for a lot of people, you know, especially now that we have electronic uh, charting, they go into their chart and they're like, Ooh. wait, what? Ooh. She did not tell me. She just told me I'd to have a PAP next year. She didn't tell me I have HPV. You know, right. and it's one of those things where like we kind of all have HPV. You know, yeah. it's like it, it's at very, point, very common. At some point, yeah. Yeah, and and even if, you know, every once in a while I'll see someone who's like, well, I've been married forever. How did this happen? And I'm like, well, have you ever had sex with anyone aside from your partner or has your partner? Because that's how it happens. It's a virus. Right. It could be living a, there and you had some surgery and you're immunocompromised and now you have an abnormal pap and that happens. And you, you know how you catch colds? Mm-hmm. You weren't necessarily in the house with someone who had a cold, but you caught a cold. That's right. And so it's a similar uh, type of thing, except you don't get it from spit and things like that that you have with colds. But it's just that sort of sneaky and how it just sneaks in. And the majority of the population, the majority of the population has been exposed or has carried it at some point, And their bodies just fought it off and away it went. Right. And I do also just want to take a brief moment to talk about... Um, you know, populations of people who are non-binary uh, or gender non-conforming, people who have different types of partners. So in the LGBTQIA plus community, uh, a lot of times this is a community that's not getting uh, their yearly PAPs, that's not coming in necessarily to be, you know, having their exams. And again, PAPs aren't every year, but aren't necessarily coming in for that. And so we do see actually a really high incidence of cervical cancer um, in that population because, you know, I think sometimes people think, oh, well, you know, they're a lesbian. Maybe I don't need to screen them as closely. But did you ask that person if they've ever had, you know, another partner or, right. you know, a what type of, of another sex, gender right, what or... type of sex they're having? So mm -hmm. um, that's a population that I think sometimes gets overlooked for some of these screenings. Yeah, because of assumptions. So it, you know what happens when you assume it's mm -hmm. not it's not a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, you've heard that before, right? You make an ass out of you and me. Look at I you. wish I could just get an ass when I assumed, <laughs> like just like a little, like a little rounder. Oh, <laughs> you bless your little heart. There's no black in you at all. <laughs> That's not true, guys. My dad is 10% Congo on his uh, Ancestry.com, so I have a, a little bit, oh, a little squeak, which I will take. That's so cute. <laughs> that's like, yeah, that's like my 10% British. That's right. Um, anyways. Something else that involves HPV are genital warts, or you know, let's just talk about that with regard to warts in general. These are not the warts that you get on your finger when you're in second grade or something, that kind of thing. Or the warts on a witch's nose. No, Yeah. Or the warts you get from kissing a frog. Have you kissed a frog? I thought I was the only one that kissed frogs. And I've kissed, how do you how do you I've think I landed a, my husband? And I've kissed a lot of frogs. Well, he turned out to be a prince. That's right. But I've kissed frogs that remain frogs. No. Anywho, that's okay. It's fine. It's a, it's it's a lesson. It's a life lesson. And here's your life lesson, folks. You know, all of you out there, genital warts. You can see, generally mm -hmm. speaking, and so I. It's really important. They're gross. That they grow in your genital area and around your anus. And for some folks, they can even be in your throat or in the back of your tongue. And they're caused by certain types of HPV. Typically not the one same types that cause cancer, oddly enough, right. interestingly enough. There's a billion gajillion strains. There roughly. are so many strains. And sometimes you can get them together. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you can get more than one at many types and so um, how are they treated? We put something really caustic, as in caustic means burning yeah. on them, and they kind of uh, fall off, and then they go away. Yeah, but, so we can do that in the office, or there's also treatment at home that you can do, which is a very sort of uh, a, a lighter version of this caustic yeah. substance. And uh, you have to do it a, a little cream. bit longer. You have to do it longer over a longer period of time where you can go in the office and just kind of... Have them frozen Bite off, the bullet off. and just get it 
get it removed right then and there. Yep. Um, but the point I wanted to make about this is that you before you make you don't go in the store and buy anything without looking at it. You don't make any kind of purchases, whether it's on sale, not on sale, you know, remnants, secondhand, first prime choice, whatever. You want to see it. Don't look at the goods before you're buying. When you're you're intimately involved with someone, and it doesn't matter who that someone is, you need to have the lights on for That's just right. a little bit so you can see what's going on because there is no need to just be in full darkness for the entire experience and you don't even know what you bought. Mm-hmm. And then you find out that you bought some warts yeah. and you weren't even planning to buy warts. And that that's not just for um, women and women parts. That's for gentlemen and all kinds of parts. So um, I think that that's true for everybody. Mm-hmm. Always uh, look, see the beauty in the body yeah. before you buy. Yeah. And now um, the type of HPV that causes warts actually can sometimes grow or exacerbate in pregnancy. So that is one thing that I would say um, if you're someone who is suffering from that and you're pregnant and you're like, oh my gosh, what is happening? I feel like I'm exploding into... Yeah, like there's a cauliflower coming out of yeah, your Yeah, and um, you know... It's it can be really traumatizing for people. So just know um, that that is common, actually, that things can sometimes get a little bit more intense during during pregnancy. Um, but that that's OK. And yeah, we'll, we'll take it one day at a time. We'll figure it out. We'll make a plan for you. They're kind of fed by hormones. But that doesn't that doesn't preclude you. That doesn't prevent you from having a, a baby or having a vaginal birth. That's true. You don't need a C-section. You're, and, you know, if you happen to have some warts down there, yeah. we just keep moving and and they don't bleed more or anything like that. You just have your baby and and then get your treatment, keep going. That's right. Um, the last thing I want to say about HPV is that some types can be prevented with a vaccine, a Gardasil vaccine. Um, it's, you know, a couple of shots given to girls and boys around 11, around that, usually that preteen age you want to do it before the time of sexual activity, before they become sexually active. And all the way up to women, uh, you can usually you want to give three shots if they're older. So the, the vaccine can be given from ages 9 to 45. That's right. Pretty much. And it's considered safe, although we're not going to get into a fight about vaccines because I know a lot of people feel some type of way about vaccines. Mm-hmm. But this is really important. And it's really important to do it for not just girl type people, right. boys as well. Because that's how you're going to protect everyone. That's right. Yeah. And we have seen, you know, again, I think we won't talk about vaccines, but we'll just say we know that there's been a lot of, um, you know, sort of backlash with this particular vaccine, actually. But what I can tell you is we have the data, you know, and science is real. And science tells us that we have significantly decreased our rates of cervical, cervical cancer. cancer. We are saving sure. lives of people with cervixes. And so for me... Heck yeah. Guess what? My kid's 12. We're rolling up into the pediatrician and he's getting that thing. And it sucks, by the way. I think it's the most painful vaccine ever. It feels when like it first came magma. out, um, <laughs> when it first came out, they started it with like when you're 15 or so. Yep. And so um, my daughter was right there and, and people said, you do that? Well, the vaccine just came out. And I said, if I can protect her, I'm, I'm going to do it. And she knew what it was about, and she said, yeah, I want it. I want to do it. And they weren't even giving it to boys at the time. Yep. And so later they discovered if you if you do all populate everyone in the population, you're going to significantly decrease the cancer incidence. And so I think it's really important if you have a – you would vaccinate for other issues that you don't want your children to get. This is something very easy to do that would protect them. And so I think, you know, folks, because of the connotation that it has to do with sex well so do a lot of things but mm-hmm. you know you want to protect your children that's, that's right oh, how i would you right know, kind of you think it, it has to do with sex but i think it has to do with cancer yeah, so <laughs> that's right we think it has to do with cancer because that's what we see a lot right so while we're on this viral um you know what is that fast train excel <laughs> i don't know a super train um let's talk about herpes because that's another one that's that's really Two-thirds of the population, at least, in some places, they say three-quarters of the population is positive for herpes 1 or 2 or both. Mm -hmm. And so type 1 typically um, causes oral lesions. 
um, in his past by utensils, lip balm, kissing, that kind of thing, sharing things when you have, you know, a little cold sore in your mouth. And type 2 usually affects your genitals, and so it's sexual contact. But you can get type 1 on your bottom and type 2 in your mouth, yes, on you your mouth. It can just go back and forth. And I try to share with patients, there's no peop, there, the fact that you have it, well, let's not even talk about 1 and 2. The reality is it's there. Right. And so let's, let's deal with that and let's try not to spread let's, because it can be spread before you actually know that you are a carrier there. So in that sort of effect of that sort of uh, issue, I will and, say interestingly, I read an article about um, the types, you know, HSV types one and two, and how um, I guess in the last you know twenty or so years we've seen a, an enormous increase in the amount of um, genital HSV in general, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the theories is that so many people used to sort of just have HSV-1 and got it at a really young age. Everyone would like kiss babies right, when they were born and, right. you know, uh, do that do that kind of stuff. Everyone was very mouth kiss, go kiss your aunt, goodbye. You know, everyone was kissing right. on the mouth. And Even so, if she did have a mustache. Right, exactly. And under that mustache was a cold sore. Yes, <laughs> right. And, and so, so many lip. people were HSV, you know, serum positive one. And so they had some antibodies sort of built up. And so there was less um, genital transmission. Whereas for many people now, their first contact with the virus is in a sexual way and so we are actually seeing it more genitally more right yeah um and so you know it usually causes that cold sore that folks get on their lips well they get a sore down on their bottom Mm -hmm. the initial episode usually is just more angry than subsequent episodes and the initial episode you can have flu-like symptoms large lymph nodes it's like you get sick yeah you do and it's um it's it, very often in women, it, it can cause sort of like a kissing presentation. Like you won't just have it on one side, you'll have it on both sides. And it, you, it, the, it's very painful to pee, to urinate, to and walk. to walk. And you just say, I don't know what's wrong with me. This is so painful. Yeah. I have a little rash down there or something's going on. And Cut then myself shaving. And then. Very, that's a common complaint. And yeah. then we look and we say, no, you didn't cut yourself shaving. This is a little problem. And so we're going to tell you how to live with it. That's what we tell the patients. That's right. Not how to, it's not doom and gloom. You're not going to die. Absolutely. You know, when you're pregnant and you have this, um, we try to give you medication at the last month of pregnancy to prevent it from being transmitted to your baby. And um, because for babies, those are the only um, people, the only folks that can, be can die from this very sick if yeah. you if you have uh an outbreak and you give birth right into through that outbreak then a baby can, can become at best very sick and at worst cannot survive yeah so that's why if you're having an active outbreak then you you may wind up with a c-section mm-hmm. so anyways that's um sort of the long and short do you want to add something it's just it's everywhere it's it's so everywhere that i just I hate that there's such a stigma around it. Yeah, there's it. a huge stigma. I mean, so I definitely get the occasional cold sore. I've gotten them since I was like a baby. And because someone at some point, you know, probably a family member, you know, kissed me. And I remember um, I had one. Thank goodness, knock on wood. Now I'm going to get one. But I haven't had one in like years and years and years. But I remember when I was in high school once I had a cold sore and there, everyone started talking about me. And I remember I had heard a friend of mine sort of like said a, ru- you know, some kind of like rumor like, oh, like she got it from one whatever some sex and I was like bitch I've had them since <laughs> I was two you think I was having sex with someone when I was two like give me a break it's ridiculous what kind of friend is that you need to I, well, yeah we're not really friends anymore that's no. high school you know, yeah high school sh- people are not always nice but so basically her in her face. you know <laughs> it was no, actually I don't I don't condone violence a boy that's just... that was my friend and he was not nice obviously but um you know it's one of those things it sucks when you have them you're like ugh, it's embarrassing and whatever but it's it's just a virus and you're really careful and you know there's medication for it and it's going to go away um and you know you they exacerbate in things like when you're sick or when you have a fever which is why sometimes mm-hmm. they're called fever blisters right um or if you're in the sun dehydrated i mean there's right. all different things that can kind of um, make them worse and better and some people know they're like triggers you know and, and yeah. they have them and, and they know when they're going to get them they can tell when it's coming on and then they can call us and ask for medication we can give you medications to manage this to make the episode decrease to make it shorter 
And so you know not to you know to avoid contact with folks so that you don't share it. That's right. Um, that kind of thing. And so we can that's what you you do with this because it's a virus. We can manage it. Yep. And part of the problem we is there's such it. an enormous stigma that no one wants to tell anyone, especially you know again like cold sores, whatever, say what you will, someone can see it, it's on your face. But for, you know, for genital herpes, there are people who are just coming and they are shocked beyond Mm -hmm. compare. And they were told by the person they slept with when questioning it, I cut myself shaving or I masturbated too aggressively or whatever. And that's not right. We should be being honest with each other. And again, it's not the end of the world. If you have it, we're going to help you. But that's really not fair to, you know, not have that disclosure. So you know, just know if you're out there, you got something going on, like it's okay, you know, and we're going to help you and your um, care providers are going to help you through it. Yeah. And you're, it's not just you. It's if not 20, just you. 20 to 25% of the population is affected. That's not just you. Yeah. So you 20 to 20% of the population affected by, you know, the HSV2 or like the general type, but yeah, t- up to, up to potentially three quarters of the population that like get cold sores or again, People will judge it. They'd be like, oh, that's disgusting. That's gross. And then they have their serum blood work. And guess who's HSV antibody positive? Right. And it's like, just because you haven't had a cold sore yet doesn't mean you can't, bro. And just because you don't have something externally doesn't mean you're not shedding the virus. So... You know, just there needs be... to be not there needs to not be finger pointing. There are some things that you can finger point, and we're going to talk about that That's next. Right. That's right. So, with that being said, we are going to go into chlamydia and less commonly gonorrhea or the clap. Uh, so, you like that? That was special. Uh, That was special. Chlamydia and gonorrhea are uh, very common. Um, Chlamydia is probably one of the most common STDs, and they're caused by a bacterial infection. Although they tend to run in pairs. We treat them together. We do. Even if you don't have the other one, because we know it might be coming. We do. Um, And so how do you get it? And where do you get it? Again, you can get it in your throat. You can get it um, anally. You can get it in your vagina. Um, And so those are the places where you can be swabbed for it as well. Yeah. Um, And who gets it? Certainly um, women, as in with most STIs, are more susceptible because we have more roots of um, of transmission. Our mucous membranes, mm-hmm. or whoever is receiving, you know, if you have more mucous membrane area, you're um, more sort of at risk of absorbing the bacteria. So, um, you think of the mucous membrane part of a penis as the very, you know, tip of the urethra. It's a much smaller space than you know, vaginal walls, so, um, or throats or things like that. So, um, we do see it, uh, more often transmitted from, um, male partners or p- partners with penises to, um, you know, re- receiving partner. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really see it often in lesbian populations, but you, you could have it, um, for mm-hmm. sure. But in gay populations, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter all the, all the populations doesn't matter who you're sleeping with. Because also, who has that person slept with? <laughs> you right. know, it's kind of like, you can get it. Mucous membranes. Right. Um, often, you don't have any symptoms, but um, it's super easy to treat once it's diagnosed. So, you know, we routinely, I encourage people at their annual visits, if they're sexually active, period, to get tested for it. Yeah. And there are so many people who then are shocked. They're like, oh, how could I have this? I feel great. I feel fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I you know, only slept with one person. Okay. Well, it's easy to cure. It's easy. It's easy to I get, to say, but and it's know? easy to cure. So easy um, to get and easy to cure. You know, gonorrhea. You get a shot and you take an antibiotic. Chlamydia. You take an antibiotic. Your partner does as well. You right. abstain from sex for seven days, and then like you're back in the game. Right. Um. You know. I think it's important that we make sure that people are getting retested to make sure that they were adequately treated, that they're not reinfecting each other or their mm-hmm. partners. Um, and although we don't see a lot of symptoms, we can certainly see symptoms um, that are not specific. So things like bladder infections or just some pain during intercourse, uh, increase or change in discharge, um, and some, some lower abdominal pain. Uh, if a person does not get treated, it can lead to pelvic pain, painful intercourse, um, either intermittently or every time you have intercourse, bleeding between periods, and even sometimes really seriously scarring um, all the way up through your fallopian tubes. And that can be um, 
causing infertility later in life. So it can be quite serious, again, uh, if not treated. Uh, but, you know, it's important that uh, we know that it's really easily treated. This is one that's definitely not the end of the world. Uh, and again, with many of these um, diseases we or infections, sorry, we do see higher incidence in certain populations. So, you know, there is a higher incidence in Black, Latinx, um, and Native Americans, and also men who have sex with men. Yes. That and, is... that, and, and for all intents and purposes of this discussion, if we say that, we're sort of meaning men born at birth men, right. men born at birth men. But again, like we said, anyone can have um, any of these things. And if you were wondering when, when babies are born, why an ointment is put into their eyes is to protect them in That's case right. mom had um, undiagnosed chlamydia during birth. And then they it's a very easy protection for them. And That's so right. it's not worth having them. I mean, some parents will say, I refuse. Yeah, and there's but. and there's some studies that show that it may or may not be super effective for those things. But a lot of people feel, as, as we do in a lot of medicine and a lot of obstetrics, that the benefit may outweigh the risk. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. So chlamydia and the... The clapper. Gonorrhea. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much more we could say about all of this stuff. So we're just we're just kind of skimming over. Is one of them also called it. the drip? Ooh, I have heard that. I feel like I feel like one of I've those heard, is also sometimes considered yeah, like it's called the drip because it causes a little bit of a drip from the penis. So yeah, and that something about that makes me want to um a little bit in my mouth. It makes me want to regurgitate. So I'm sorry. I don't mean to do that, but it just <laughs> thought of it. It makes me a little bit sicky. Um, <clears throat> but remember, I do take care of female parts more so than men parts. I have done testing for males because it's really important to me to protect the female partner. And I'm, I say to her, it doesn't work to treat one, one person right. and not the other. You have to, everybody in the game has to be treated. So if you have more than one partner, you listen. Everybody needs to be treated or it's just going to keep going around and around in a circle, which brings me to a case I want to make for um, protecting yourself during intercourse and having um, in using condoms. Yeah. And all of these things. I mean, that was sort of like a take home memo. But listen, when you ask, first of all, as a care provider, if you're listening as a midwife, future midwife care provider, um, when you're asking a patient if they're quote unquote using protection, what, what does that even mean? Like, do they have an umbrella when they go outside? Because that's like very general. <laughs> In the rain, right? Do you carry mace? Like, what? <laughs> no. Pepper we need spray. to be specific, right? So we need to be asking: Are you using condoms? Are you using a dental dam? Are you using a glove? Um, and how often? Is it every time? Is it yes. some of the time? Is it most uh, of the time? Yeah, exactly. Or is it not at all? Right. Because I feel like I'm trusting this person in this relationship. And we shouldn't be, you know, do your best to not make a frown or anything like that if they say not at all. Because that's our opportunity to, um, you know, encourage and educate and also give this person the opportunity to be tested. Right? I have an idea. That's that's one of my lines. <laughs> I have an idea. How about you start using some real protection like a condom yeah that sounds like a male cool, or female this sounds like a commercial i really like it <laughs> yeah i have an idea yes and, and they usually laugh because they're not <laughs> expecting me to follow that statement with what i say yeah. and i say good I, w- I want you to laugh but i also want you to hear me yeah for some reason condoms i feel like are really closely associated with preventing pregnancy but they're not that great for that but no. they are real great no, no. at helping protect you from infection and it's not a hundred percent the only thing that's a hundred percent is what abstinence okay Uh, zero judgment (laughs) if that's your if that's your thing and you're all about the abstinence i am going to support you but also if you like are wanting to have fun with someone besides yourself go get it just just be safe yeah you do need to be safe and um i was going to make another point about the whole condom thing oh i know uh condoms so they don't really work that well for the whole herpes protection Mm. um if it's you know that's an external thing so perhaps if from the beginning very beginning i have patients who will say yes i do use condoms and sometimes we get into the conversation well from the very beginning of your of your contact during foreplay or do you just like try it out a little and then put the condom on no 
No, 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 no tasting, no free, nothing's free from the very beginning. Lights are on. Oh, it looks beautiful. Lights off, but the (laughs) condom has to go on. Um, Yeah. Or or use of the dental dam. You have to pull that dam out or... You know, female, if you um, you want to use those kind of condoms, that looks it just reminds me of baggy. But and when you just said herpes, it just maybe made, made me have one thing also that I want to say is there are many discordant couples. So what that means is people who one person has one of these um, infections, including things like herpes that stay with you forever, and the other person, you know, not. it does not with really careful assessment, treatment with an honest you know, evaluation of the goods before you have sexual activity. There are many people who are able to remain that way. Yes. So it's, again, it's not something you have to be like, well, now my life's over because I'm going to have herpes forever and I can never sleep with it. You know, it's like... Nobody's it, life is over. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the other thing I wanted to just mention, going back to uh, chlamydia and gonorrhea, is that uh, we can test for these things. We don't have to do invasive testing. So and by invasive testing, I mean things where we have to really like force the swab into your you know, vagina. Or Dig your, for gold. Right, exactly. So this is something where you actually you can leave uh, what we term a dirty urine, which is just straight up you go pee in a cup. Um, and we can actually use that to test for uh, gonorrhea and chlamydia. So that's something that we can do. And then again, like we said, you can swab, you know, the rectum, the throat, yeah, things like that. It's really important to protect, self-protect first. And so it's really important to get this testing done. There's no stigma with this testing. So if you say, I want to be tested, no one's looking at you cross-eyed saying, ooh, what's she doing? Or what's he doing? Or what are they doing? Depending on your preferred pronoun. So no, no one's no one's doing that. It just isn't happening. Um, here's another virus, trichomonas. Um, and this one's pretty quick. It's pretty not good and pretty, it's a major cause of vaginitis, which is like inflammation of the vagina. It is, uh, an infection it's caused sort of by, um, it's not really a virus. It's caused by a parasite. And so it's common, it's easily treated, it's usually more common in multiple sex partners. Not using condoms is a risk factor. Mm-hmm. How do you not get it? Use the condoms and not, not have multiple um, partners all at once, that kind of thing. Protect yourself. And the symptoms are just, a, just like a profuse discharge, just not good, and you, burning, bleeding after intercourse, discharge, itching, that kind of thing. It affects the vagina, the urethra, the foreskin. Women more than men, blacks more than Latinx or whites. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much trichomonas in a nutshell, also called trick. That's right. And for you, um, again, providers out there under the microscope, trick can be kind of cool if you can see it. It's got little uh, flagella, so it'll kind of right. like swim all around like a crazy drunk uncle all over the slide. I show um, it to patients. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of neat. And um, also you may see that strawberry cervix, and um, that's like this, you can Google it, you can look at it, but it's a sign sort of that the cervix has when you're looking at it. So um, if you see that on your exam, you might say, oh, you know, why don't we just do this quick swab and just check for this? Mm-hmm. So, all right. I think that's a good place to take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back with all, everything you did or didn't want to know about STIs. Woohoo! Hey guys, it's Chelsea. And it's Ashlyn. And we are the hosts of Will, Will There Be Tequila? Tequila? Ooh, we did it on point! <laughs> <laughs> So it's a show where we talk about things that are going on in our lives and the world around us because, you know, the world's on fire and all that fun stuff. And we also have a little shot on the side. So, yeah, be sure to check us out every Tuesday wherever you listen to your pods. So Apple Music, Spotify, SoundCloud. Literally anywhere. Drink responsibly. We're back and you're listening to the Midwife Crisis Podcast. Uh, today we're talking about STIs or sexually transmitted infections. Or the gift that keeps on giving. The gift that keeps on giving. And, you know, we're hoping that by talking about some of these things, maybe we'll help the gifts stop giving. <laughs> or at least make you feel like even though it's a gift you didn't really want, it's you can, you know, you can deal with it and don't re-gift it. That's Just, right. Just, you know. 
That's manage right. it and put it away somewhere. That's right. Um, so we just talked about a little parasite, um, and now we're going to talk about a little bit of a bigger uh, guy, a little tiny insect called pubic lice. So, oh, I didn't. I'm sorry. I put my finger up, and she stopped talking. I and did that stop wasn't talking. Nec- <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't necessary. I just want you guys to know who's in charge here. Oh, it is no, PR. It is not. <laughs> It is not. I just wanted to clarify before the break. I said a trick was a virus. I started off by saying that and I got my words all confused because it is not. It's caused by a parasite. I did eventually say that, but I just want to clarify <laughs> for all you listeners out there. It is a little bugaboo. That she doesn't want to do a corrections corner. A <laughs> not on that. A follow, I want, no follow up visit. I don't want to talk about it again. <laughs> um, all right. So pubic lice. Uh pubic lice, a.k.a. crabs, um, because unlike the lice that you your kids get, I'm going to say you get, but honestly, let's be real. It's kids. Oh, my God. Kids. They're so full of lice. Um, <laughs> they're full of mad lice, man. Uh, anyway, uh, pubic lice, or a.k.a. crabs, appear kind of more crab-like. So if you've ever seen one um, up close or if you've ever seen a picture of one, they look, you know, like a little crab. Do they um, crawl sideways? That's no. right. So they are small parasites um, that attach to the skin and hair, parasites. and they can be near your genitals, body hair, armpits, beard, happy trail, kind of anything um, aside from your head. Um, and they are, again, easy to get rid of. They're treated with something that's over the counter at the drugstore or that can be prescribed for you. Um, if you did have them or if you had a partner who had them, again, super, super good hygiene. You're going to Take all that bedding, all those sheets, towels, everything, everything. hot water, hot dryer. Um, and for all of these things, I mean, not to be like a crazy person, but, you know, I tell people who get cold sores or who have, you know, genital HSV, same thing, like one time use towels. Everything is one time right. use um, and it goes right in the laundry and you wash everything. Super, super hot water detergent, you know, make sure you're just using really careful precautions. And this is one of the ways that we try to help prevent the spread. Oh, you know what? That brings it to me to something. Someone said once, um, I probably got trick from my towel mm. when I was swimming. I and got chlamydia, and it's probably from that disgusting subway bathroom seat that I sat on. Right, I knew and then I, I sat on, on the toilet seat, and I was, and I, I said, really. I don't think that's what happened. Yeah. And when they said the toilet seat, I've gotten that one too. And I said, did you rub your vagina on the toilet seat? Is that what, when you were peeing? What, like, break it down for me. And so, but I said it in a way that kind of made them laugh. And I, I said, no, I don't, I don't think that's how, how you got it. You know why? Because it's way up on your cervix. Yeah. And um, I don't think I don't think that's what happened. Yeah. So. And you know that will I will take a second to say, false positives are possible. So for these things, we can sometimes see um, people who come back with positive tests, and they're like, "Holy baloney! There's no way." on the planet that I have this. I haven't had sex in X amount of years, right. et cetera, et cetera. And um, our feeling is, yes, we should absolutely still treat you because for a lot of these, you know, especially the bacterial infections, it's very, very simple to treat. And then we can kind of worry about the logistics later. But for some people, it's sort of, it can be upsetting. Of course, it can be a matter of pride. If you're, you know, in a long-term consensual monogamous relationship, it could be very upsetting to have a false positive. So be aware that that is a possibility. If a patient says that, we can certainly let them know that um, it's unlikely. But yes, we would love to retest you. And in my experience, typically it does come back positive again. And then I usually sort of see that as a as a positive test but um and that makes you kind of sad it doesn't make yeah. you we don't say i told you no of course we we never want to be i would love to be wrong you know if we have that diagnosis so right. um just but, because it's easier for you you know i don't right, i don't want that right. for you i don't want anyone to be going through you know that pain or right. um or sadness or issues in the relationship whatever but uh yeah i mean i think it's something that we just need to be aware of there is always a possibility that it's yeah, not it's not, not perfect right. and right. you know that, that it could that, be a false positive because yeah. i have had people come back and it was actually negative yeah absolutely although not in the case of trichomonas because we saw the little motoflagellate yeah. kind of moving around and, and actually i I will often invite the patients to look under the microscope and I'll say, hey, do you want to see something really crazy? And then they say, what's that moving around? In the case of the lice, I've even collected and said, here, you want to see it under 
under the microscope as well. Mm. So that's not really a false, but it, yeah. it, it sort of helps with a little bit of a reality check. Yeah, true. Um, um, and it becomes more scientific than, right. than accusatory. Right. Is that a word? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it is now. Uh, we'll just petition Webster Merriam Dictionary. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and sort of on the opposite spectrum, I do also want to say sometimes uh, tests come back positive in cases of things like, let's say someone comes in and they sort of have like every symptom of uh, HSV or, or genital herpes. And we try to kind of like get a swab because the best test for that is to actually swab the lesion. Yes. But if you can't really, we call it unroofing. It's kind of gross, but you just kind of take the top off of it and you want to make it bleed. Um, super yeah, painful for patients. Tear the roof off. The That's mother. right. Raise that roof, and uh, and but some, in those cases, sometimes it will come back negative. But we'll say, you know what, we still it's have still, a very high suspicion. Yeah. You know, and in that case, it's okay to have that person come back if it, there's a next time that that happens. Um, also, with they can take a blood test. That's true. Although I will say again, almost everyone's gonna have yeah, some kind of HSV positive. in their blood. Um, but uh, I did have someone who actually their culture, their HSV culture, because it was a primary outbreak, was positive, and their blood test was negative because, because they hadn't they made had the antibodies yet. Yes. Right. So. With all of these, there's going to be caveats, and yes. not every test is going to be 100%, and we have to use our clinical mindset and also look at some of those other signs and symptoms. That's All of that is true. I totally agree, which all is right. most of the time because you're so smart. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, so now I'm going to talk about uh, syphilis. So syphilis is a common bacterial infection, again, uh, typically sexually transmitted. It's easily cured with medicine, but it can be super dangerous if you don't treat it. Mm. So um, syphilis is stages. something that, yeah, comes in actually stages. And this goes back to our initial assessment. So if someone has a primary syphilis, they typically get a lesion called a canker. Um, it's the hallmark sign of syphilis. And it can appear between 10 to 90 days after exposure. Um, commonly, the sites are uh, places like the penis, the labia, anus, um, lesions around the mouth. Uh, and without treatment, it's going to go away in about two to eight weeks. So this person's like, oh, I got this, you know, open sore, but it, like, oh, it got better. I cut myself shaving. Oh, it got better. Mm -hmm. And guess what? That's kind of it. But the next stage, if it's untreated, is the secondary syphilis, which is a rash um, that can be on palms of your hands, on your forearms. Um, they can be pink and brown, different macules. Mm -hmm. um, and again, usually palms of hands, soles of feet in greater than 50% of the cases. You can also get oral lesions. Um, or mucus patches. Um, they almost look like like a little, they call it a snail trail. I, I joke about snail trails being something else. But anyway, <laughs> uh, little like patches on the gums. Um, you can also start to get nerve changes. So um, neurosyphilis, cranial nerve deficits. Um, you can have changes to your eyes. You can have, um, is it uveitis? Uveitis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um <laughs> Don't look at me like that. The second Wait I read, a minute. The second <laughs> I have uveitis. I have uveitis right now. She does. But you guys, I'm I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty I'm 99% sure it's not secondary syphilis. I don't think it is. I I better go get tested. Uh-oh. I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure you've been right to that away. eye doctor five thousand million times. There's no way they haven't been like, well, let's just double, triple check. Um, anyway, and you can actually start having organ changes as well. Next is latent syphilis. This is you're totally you feel great, totally asymptomatic. Um, this is a period long after the primary and secondary syphilis has gone noticed or unnoticed. Um, in the early stages, again asymptomatic, but your testing would be positive. Um, and in the later stages, um, you're still going to test positive but you're no longer considered early. And so again, this is going to be based on symptoms and history and exposure and taking a good um, sexual history from the patient. Yes. The good news is primary, secondary, and early latent syphilis can be easily treated with literally like a shot of penicillin. Um, Isn't it more than one? Well, in later stages, oh. in late latent it's, or oof. tertiary stages, you oh. get multiple shots. Um, it is an intermuscular dose, I believe. Um, Painful. And painful, I have heard, but it's probably more painful to have 
things like late neurosyphilis. Oh, I'm sure it is. Where you have trouble walking, where you have dementia, um, you know, where you can have horrible pain, sensory deficits. Um, you know, you can start getting granulomas of the skin and organs. Ooh. You know, um, interestingly, throughout history, you know, you got you guys. There's some people that had. Please. Yeah, that yeah, had syphilis with like sure. large growths or it would start kind of eating away at like the, the nasal tissue mm -hmm. and sort of the cartilage. And so the nose would collapse on itself. Holy cow. That's so sexy, right? No. I know, it's really not. And then also, ultimately, you can have cardiovascular effects um, in late syphilis, including aneurysms. Like you can die. You can actually just die Holy. from your syphilis. Mm. So here's the deal. This is my feeling. If you feel like you could have been exposed, if you had a drunken night, you know you didn't use a condom, it is so easy to do a really quick, inexpensive STI serum blood test. It's going to test you for a lot of Screening these different things. Screening for all of these. A lot of these the, things. the whole kit and caboodle. Because guess what? If it comes back positive, it's not the end of the world. You're going to get some penicillin and you're going to be okay. If you're too scared to get tested and it becomes, you know, late, your nose is going to collapse into your brain. Like, don't, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, but won't you like lose your mind and so you won't know? Yeah. Well, I mean, gone. yeah, you can have like, and you know, you can have dementia. I, I actually, know. one of my first jobs at the hospital uh, when I turned 18 was called a constant companion. And it's sort of just you sort of sit or they also call it a sitter. Right. Um, you, all different types of people, all walks of life, all ages. Um, and one of the people I sat with had um, end stage uh, syphilis and he especially at night would just get really he was just had dementia agitated. confused agitated um it's sad you know because at that point horrible. you can't really treat it you're just managing the symptoms so right, right. Yeah. and so and it's curable folks. it's curable so, so don't be scared right let's get straight about our curables and our and so let's speaking of back to our viruses hepatitis b which is vi viral a virus it can it causes liver disease. Um, basically, it's a liver infection, which is spread through unprotected sex, vaginal, anal, oral, or blood products, um, shared needles if you're injecting, mm -hmm. or unscreened blood, which not so much anymore because now we screen blood for if you're having a transfusion or something for everything, mm -hmm. um, including Hep B and HIV, or sharing pers personal hygiene items like razors and toothbrushes, because that kind of stuff draws blood. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the blood transmission, or from mother to baby. Yep. Um, it's preventable, people. We have vaccines for this, and boosters if your yep. vaccine wears off, yep. because as care providers and as vectors of all kinds of things, we one of those issues is hepatitis, and so we get vaccines for it and we get boosters if our vaccine fades away and our kids get boosters for and it and our kids your kids they give it to babies mm -hmm. when they're you know when they're born and um and then you know later on so anyways most adults can recover fully but there isn't really a cure per se treatment depends on the severity mm -hmm. but it's not spread through kissing and sneezing and hugging and right. that kind of thing so that's not that's not an out right there Right. Um, it's more easily transmitted, interestingly, than HIV. So people are very afraid of HIV. Um, but um, hepatitis B, it sort of carries in the bloodstream at higher blood levels than HIV does, generally speaking. And so that's why it's just more contagious than HIV is, which is not to say that HIV is, you know, it's, it's also... We're not friends with it. Let's talk about HIV. Um, I just wanted to say briefly with uh, Hep B is that if a mother is positive for it, she can still have a vaginal birth. What happens is we, after right after the baby's born, we pretty much immediately um, give the baby the hepatitis uh, vaccine as well as something called HBIG, yes. which is a hepatitis immunoglobulin, um, and also give the baby a bath. Uh, quickly, and we have really been able to significantly decrease that risk um, of spreading from mom to baby. So, it's not not all is not lost. That's right, and rarely is it. That's why we are trying to show demonstrate to you that your crisis, we want it to be very small for you. Absolutely. Um, human immunodeficiency virus and AIDS H acquired. Um, immune deficiency syndrome, um, HIV and AIDS. Uh, HIV is a viral infection that breaks down your immune system so you can't fight infection. And if left untreated um, or with repeated exposure, so you build your levels up, it can lead to AIDS. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, there is no cure, but treatment can help you stay healthy. And I've tried to tell patients who, um, on the rare occasions that I've had to share with them that they were HIV positive, that now HIV is kind of like, a new, a new disorder like diabetes is, mm-hmm. you know, so we, we're not curing your diabetes, but we have medications for you to treat your diabetes, keep it under control. With the case of HIV, keep your levels low so that you don't, you know, uh, you're not getting sick. You know, it's it treatment is going to help, but it's a virus, so we can't cure it. And it's basically transmitted the same way um, hepatitis B is. But um, people are living really long, normal lives. That's and right. now we have PrEP, which is pre-exposure po- prophylaxis. So you're, if you're in a relationship with a person who's positive and you want to protect, you know, you want to be protected from also becoming positive, then you take this medication daily. And, you know, if you take it sporadically, it's not going to really work. But if you take it on a daily basis, it's prophylaxis means a medication that's going to protect you. Mm-hmm. And so, and there's also PEP, which is post-exposure <coughs> prophylaxis that you can do as well. Absolutely. And so um, those are ways to try and help. Uh, like in the case of, of PEP, that's not something you, you want to do on a chronic basis. Right. <laughs> it's sort of like if True. you found yourself in a situation and you're like, uh-oh, I, I think I need to protect myself and so you take the you take the pep yeah. if you weren't already um on the prep or you didn't know what the status of or what's going on with mm-hmm. that other individual um but nothing beats a condom that's true actually that's true. because it's transmitted you know m- more frequently from the receipt from the giver to the <laughs> to the receiver it's right. the most common transmission um and and mostly because you know you have those mucous membranes, so it doesn't if it's you know if it's sort of a vaginal penis to vagina vagina or penis to anus type thing, those are both you know mucous membrane um, areas, and so prone to to tears, prone to damage. They're they're sensitive people, yeah. and so if you are rough with them, then they will, you know, um, they'll that, that sort of um, destroy not destroys, but kind of interrupts the integrity of that area. And then it's open. The door is open to any any little visitors that you might not want in your system. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say nothing beats a condom. Yeah. Um, you know, I for for some people listening, you may or may not have you know grown up during the AIDS epidemic. Um, but it's such a significant part of LGBTQIA plus history. Um, and I can't even believe, even in my life, how far we've come as far as treatment and demystifying and getting rid of the stigma. You know, we have amazing. so many famous people now that people wouldn't even know that, you know, are HIV positive because their levels, their viral loads are undetectable with the treatments that we have available to us. Um, and, you know, women are able to have vaginal births now because we can get their viral loads so, so low, low and they're not yeah. transmitting it to their babies. Like, right. whereas it used to be if you had it and you were having, you know, a child that that kid would get it, you know, and so it's um, it's just it's really wonderful. And I truly hope that we keep working on it Um, keep working you know to me like I said it's a it's a virus so we don't really have cures for viruses but continuing to come up with um treatments that are going to keep this kind of under control and like I said earlier in the in the episode to put it to sleep yeah I mean it's really important because for such a long time these vulnerable populations and again we're thinking you know, black populations and, and LGBTQIA plus, and mm-hmm. those were the people who were getting sick from it. And so it was easy to ignore and it was easy to push under the rug and say like, it's not going to affect me. Um, but the more that, you know, it's sadly, it took it becoming sort of mainstream, you know, to really right. get people to take it seriously and work on it. But, um, yeah, I'm just so thankful. I've known people in my life, uh, growing up that have passed from AIDS and I hope that I never so have I. to meet anyone I've... again that's going to pass from AIDS. I hope that the next person I know who's HIV positive lives to be ripe and old and dies peacefully at, at an old age. Speaking of famous people, look at Magic Johnson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, he's aging beautifully. Yeah. And, you know, it, it used to be, well, he has medications, but now, you know, the general population is having access to these medications. Yeah. Yes, they are expensive, but... Um, you know, it's definitely worth it to maintain your health. And yeah. Or you think well, like um, more 
more uh, as a as a more contemporary person too, um, Jonathan Van Ness, who is on the show Queer Eye on mm-hmm. uh, Netflix, just recently came out with a book, and in his book he talks about how he is HIV positive, and he's like the healthiest he's been in his entire life, and he's a gymnast, and he's he's basically undetectable with his viral load, and and that's amazing and beautiful, and I hope that we you know, continue to, to care and listen mm-hmm. when populations that are vulnerable are telling us that they need help because um, it was ignored for such a long time and there were so many lives lost. And um, yeah. And the black popu- or population or population, especially the black population, I should say, because it's, it's a separate thing from Latinx, um, they, the transmission from male to female was very high mm-hmm. um, at one point. And uh, that generally, it stemmed from many reasons. One, so IV drug use, and that doesn't mean all black people are IV drug users, but there was a higher incidence in that population. Folks who were incarcerated and then came out during their incarceration, um, you know, a lot of folks would be gay for this day. And so then they would wind up being infected and then come home and not be gay anymore. They would go back to their relationship with their female partner and then be infected. And some folks, did they came home and they um, had intercourse or had, re- you know, had relationships with both their, their heterosexual fem- their female partner and maintained a relationship with other men as well. And so there were like all kinds of things that were going on that were making um, these women be more susceptible. They're saying, I'm not doing anything. I don't understand why I'm getting infected. Yeah. But that's not the point. The point is protect and know what's real and take care of yourself. And, you know, don't be don't be scared if you're if you've got something going on, if you're positive, if you, you know, come back with any STI, like just be transparent, be honest, make the call, you know, and and let people know that's the honorable thing to do. And and you never know, maybe you'll be going through something together, but at least you're going through it. So Yeah, and it's not just you. It's it not isn't. just you. That's right. Um, so we talked a lot about a lot of STIs. There are some uh, sort of a little subset of things that you can get s- definitely from sexual activity, but also just sometimes from like close proximity. Um, so they can be sexually transmitted occasionally, but not always. Uh, one of these things, again, a nice little parasite, scabies. Scabies <gasps> are teeny tiny parasites that crawl into your skin, burrow underneath, and they cause really intense itching. Um, And they come from skin-to-skin contact. So again, not necessarily sexually transmitted. Could just be snuggling with someone. Um, But it can definitely happen during sex. Again, this can be treated. um, But, you know, you want to make sure that you take a peek. They can make little, like, uh, little, like, track marks underneath the skin. A lot of people will feel very, very itchy um, at nighttime. It can be between your fingers, like in the webbing between your fingers. So um, if you're having symptoms, again, don't be scared to get it checked out, just like any of these things. Just like if you had anything going on, you would want to be evaluated. Don't wait. Just go to a a care provider and get checked out. Well, here's something really funny. When I was in high school... um, there was, I saw on the news that there was an epidemic of scabies in the schools, mm. which was really, I just thought, that's just crazy. Yeah. And then it came to my high school, mm. and I went to an all-girls high school, and uh, and they were just like, pe- people were getting it, and it was like, that high school needs to be fumigated <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, if it, who was having skin-to-skin, who was... I don't know, sitting in chairs with their little short naked butt next to other people. I don't know who knows the circumstances, but I just think that that's a curious thing that, you know, when if, you know, we have patients, we always have to like to get the room and clean it out so it doesn't. Yep. Um, doesn't get passed to another patient if that's, that's right. the case, if we diagnose it. And um, so the last viral little bugaboo I want to talk about is molluscum contagiosum. And it's an infection that causes small bumps on your skin. And it goes away by itself. The bumps, sometimes they can look like they have little fluid filling in them, but it doesn't really. And it it causes like a a lot of them when they appear, you'll get quite a few of them. And it almost isn't worth trying to put a medication on them to treat them because it'll go away by itself. It just doesn't look very pretty. And it generally, you'll remember that, oh, she had something when I was with her mm. on her thighs or wherever, 
or he had something on his groin, but he said it was nothing. This is another one like head lice that we see a lot in kids. It's super, super common. Yes, (laughs) and you can see this on kids, you know, and on kids, the pediatrician, sometimes they will uh, freeze it off, but that's if there's just a couple um generally it's it's not it, it's just going to go away yep. you don't have to do anything it isn't dangerous it's just annoying and it's something that you can get when you have intimate contact in the case of kids they don't have to have intimate contact because kids are kids. They just have all kinds of contact. Yep. Um, also, things like bacterial vaginosis or sort of an overgrowth or change in the pH of your vagina, um, overgrowth of the good bacteria. That's kind of how I think about it. Um, that's something that we sometimes see in um, female to female, born at birth female um, partners because they can um, sort of share that bacteria. Um, or you can get it sometimes after intercourse because the pH of your vagina changes a little bit. So, again, not necessarily you know, STI, meaning you're going to take your bacteria and give it to someone else, it's going to give it to someone else, but you can certainly get bacterial vaginosis or Gardnerella um, after having sex. Um, Also, this is where, especially even with same-sex partners, really good hand-washing, really good Mm -hmm. washing of any, like, sex toys, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just being really cautious that way. Yeah, that's important. uh, Makes a difference. Uh, And And when you get this, it causes a... If if you're having intercourse with a male... And he ejaculates. Um, It causes a fishy odor, Mm -hmm. which is where this whole fishy thing. No one should smell like fish. It's just not. Yeah. It's not a thing. It just if that's happening, if you feel like you have a fishy odor, come on in. Let us know. You know, it's something that, again, course of antibiotics, uh, change in sometimes that just your personal, you know, process and the way that you care for yourself. So easy to clear. Can make yourself feel better. Absolutely. Um, And things like uh, cystitis or UTIs. This is another thing where. You know, if you're having sex, this is why we always say pee after sex, um, because, you know, especially in um, women and um, non-binary people, um, your your urethra is very close to your vagina. Mm -hmm. And so with that movement of a hand, a penis, a mouth kind of taking, again, maybe good bacteria, but spreading it kind of all over and up into your urethra, um, it can actually go back into your bladder. It can even go as high as your kidneys and can cause um, an infection. And again, um, it's not the way we think of an STI, but it can sometimes happen from sexual activity and it's super easily treated um, with antibiotics and even some over the counter medication that can help with the pain. Yeah, that's true. It changes the color of your urine, but it 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 brings great relief until the antibiotics can kick in. That's right. That's right. So So that's it. I mean, if you don't feel like you just went through health class, then I I think we did it wrong because we just really we we hit the kit and caboodle. And we know this was a little bit um, a little bit dry, probably at times. But we think it's an wake up. Wake up. This is an important topic. It's something we have to be talking about. And and one of my biggest things is just about sex education. We can't we can't be expecting um, schools and even sometimes families to be informing our patients. So we need to really make sure that we are having really good specific conversations about patients protecting themselves and protecting others to try to um, to try to limit, you know, the the spread of preventable infections. Yes, be honest and earnest, um, and that is how you will minimize your crisis. And don't be embarrassed, or you know what, be embarrassed because it's your right to feel however you want to feel. But know that there is zero judgment. No one is judging you. None of us are thinking ill of you. None of us are, you know, thinking you're dirty or anything like that. We're thinking you're a human that has something going on and we're going to help you. We're happy we can fix something for you. That's right. There is never any, any judgments. And if you need to talk about it 10 times, if you, you know, want to call us back and you need (laughs) to just rehash whatever, that's okay. Like we get it. It happens. That's right. And we're used to it. That's right. So it's fine. So we hope you guys learned something helpful today. And most importantly, again, we hope you learned that when it comes to STIs, it's never just you. Never. Our podcast is produced by Baobab Tree Studios, and we'd like to thank Eamon and Rev Kev, as well as our friends, family, and you, our listeners, who make this podcast possible. You guys, please be sure to subscribe on Spotify and iTunes or wherever you listen. Make sure you like us and follow us. Um, You can do that on Facebook, on Instagram, at the Midwife Crisis Podcast, or you can email us anytime at midwifecrisispodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, get tested.
Y lávate los manos. Wash your hands. It's flu season and you should wash them anyway. Don't forget, it's not, not just, just you. Bye. Bye.